Uh, this evening's shear is about a topic that I did not know about until this morning when I got a shayla about it from a woman who serves in a hospital as a child life specialist. You may not know what a child life specialist is, so I'll just give you a very brief background of what it is. In hospitals, we have many different kinds of people that do different kinds of work. Not everybody who works in a hospital is a medical professional. Some of them are there to give other kinds of support. The nature of the job of a child life specialist is they are meant to reduce the stress and anxiety of children and families who are experiencing healthcare issues or hospitalization. So they are very valuable because they are trained to speak not as practitioners, not as doctors, not as medical professionals, but rather in a very, I don't mean to say that a doctor is insensitive, but a doctor sometimes speaks very clinically. And these professionals are trained how to speak in a very sensitive, empathetic, supportive, tender way to explain to a child the condition that they are undergoing, the overall situation that is going on health-wise, the treatment plan of a patient, either the child, him or herself, or a parent, or a sibling who's going through a trauma in the hospital. So these child life specialists are very helpful to be able to explain to a child what it is that they are going to be experiencing because of the illness that they are undergoing or because of the illness of somebody else in their family that they are close with. So some of these child life specialists do outpatient work while others do inpatient work. And the question that I got this morning was, a child life specialist not only does the work that we describe, but also they have an opportunity to be involved in all kinds of different bereavement support. So the research has shown that one very powerful tool in assisting with somebody who has a traumatic loss is to try and be involved in as many what they call memory-making opportunities as possible. I always say this whenever we have families, Rahman al-Itzlan, families who have a uh, young child who is going through chemotherapy and it's really looking very negative and it th- seems that things are not going to be able to turn around. Unfortunately, I am confronted with this in Camp Simcha every so often. I always tell those families, try to create memories. Try to do something while your child is still here that you can hold on to. So I remember in particular, there was one family that we encouraged. The doctor and myself got together with the family. We encouraged them. They should go to Eretz Yisrael and they should make memories with their child. And they flew heroically to Eretz Yisrael. They were there for two or three weeks. And they have so many hundreds of pictures from that time that they were there. A few months later, the child passed away. But these are memories that they hold on to forever. Not always is there an opportunity to make memories like that. Not always is a patient in a stable enough position that they can fly somewhere, that they can do something like that. So here was the child I got this morning. The child life specialist called me this morning and said that one of the activities that they have been trained to do is that after a patient passes away, they will come into the room before they bring the body down to the morgue and they will take clay and they will make an imprint. They will make an impression of the hand and the palm of the patient. Then they will take that home and they will put it into a kiln or something and present it to the family a week or two later. And that will be in some way a way of creating a memory that the children can hold on to forever. So if a woman passes away with young children and they're going to have very few recollections of who their mother is, they will have this imprint of the hands of a loving touch of a loving hand of a mother. Of course, it's not the same as a human hand, but it is the impression of their actual mother. And similarly, If a child passes away in the NICU, often they will do this because this is something that a parent can hold on to and feel as if they still have a relationship and a connection with their loved one. Not only do they do impressions of the hands, but they sometimes will take a handprint or a footprint, a fingerprint, and they will make jewelry out of it or something like that. Sometimes I was told they will cut hair um, from a young child and give it 
to the family later on, all kinds of different things. And this was the question I was asked this morning. If I am a certified child life specialist and I am asked to do one of these kinds of activities, which is very therapeutic for a family to have, would that be permissible, number one, if I have a Jewish patient, number two, if I have a non-Jewish patient, would there be a difference? Or is this something that perhaps is not permissible? The question I was asked was, is that considered to be Avodah The answer to that is no. This has nothing to do with Avodah It's an excellent question, but Avodah is the wrong simon and Shulchan Aruch to look at. What we do need to think about is the following three issues, which is what we have to consider as we break down the Shiloh. Issue number one is, there's a prohibition of having any hana, any benefit from a mace, from a dead body. Is this considered to be deriving benefit or perhaps not? That's question number one. Question number two is, aside from the iser hana, aside from deriving benefit, I have to respect the body and I have to have kavod hames. We all know that we try to display, we exhibit a kavod hames. Aside from the kavod hames, we make sure not to be minavel es hames. We don't do anything that would desecrate or defile the body. Bizayon hames is something that we take very seriously. So that is question number two. Is this considered to be a nivel hames by doing that? Number three, there's a mitzvah of kvura. Not only is there a mitzvah of kvura, there's a prohibition to postpone the kvura unnecessarily. So is that something that we need to be concerned about? So let's think about all three of those issues. Those are the ones we need to focus on. The focus here obviously is not on Avodah per se, but it's on issues that are regarding the way that we handle or the way that we are not supposed to handle a corpse, a body, after a person is deceased, after someone passes away. So we start with the mitzvah of kvura. What exactly is the mitzvah of kvura? The Torah says in Sefer Tvarim, Lo salin nivlaso al ha'etz, ki kavur tikburenu bayamahu. The Torah says, when somebody is killed in Misas Bezdin, and it's specifically talking about that, when somebody is given capital punishment, which happens very rarely, the Gemara tells us, very rare that you have a circumstance where somebody's life will actually be taken by the Bezdin, that individual, after they are killed, we have an obligation as the Bezdin to make sure that person is going to be buried. And you have to make sure he covered Tikurana by Yamahu. Not just bury him, but you have to bury him on that day. You cannot leave the body over until the next day. Now, the Gemara Mesecha Sanhedrin talks about this issue and says, How do you know that there's a mitzvah of Kfura? And this is an interesting Gemara. The Gemara says, How do we know there's a mitzvah of Kfura? Says the Gemara, Maybe I'll tell you the way we know there's a mitzvah of Kfura is because it says that Akadish Baruch Hu buried Moshe Rabbeinu. Why would Akadish Baruch Hu bury Moshe Rabbeinu if there was no reason to do so? Why would he go out of his way? to be involved in such an activity. Obviously, it must be that there is a mitzvah kvura, says the Gemara. No, that's not a proof. Why is it not a proof? How is that not a proof? Isn't that the greatest proof? What HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, isn't that the answer? Says the Gemara, no. Dilma delalishani mimin haga. Could be that Avram Avinu, I'm sorry, that the practice all over the world was, they bury people. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't want to change the minaka olam. If this is what everyone does, I'm going to conform. I'm going to do the same, even though there's no obligation to do it. That is perhaps the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu buried Moshe Rabbeinu and says the Gemara, we would not have a proof from the fact that the Ribbon Shalolam bothered to bury Moshe Rabbeinu, that in and of itself would not prove that we have an obligation to be involved in burial. So the Gemara says, ultimately, we learn the mitzvah of Kvura from this Pasuk in Sefer Devarim, where the Torah says, Kavar Tikburenu Bayomahu. The Lecha Mishnah gets into a whole discussion whether we assume that one who is not, um, one who did not pass away because of capital punishment, but somebody who died some other natural death because of whatever reason, would they also have a mitzvah of Kvura? Or is this something that is limited to 
those who are considered to be Haruge Bezdin. As we know, the Rambam is of the opinion, and this is the accepted opinion, we have a mitzvah of Kvura Minat Torah for everyone. We don't assume that it is limited. We assume that this is something that we have an obligation to offer every single person who passes away is deserving of a respectful and a respectable Kvura. And that is why we do that. The Stechemet even wonders, why do we not recite a bracha? Either the Chever Kadisha or the family members, whoever it is that's involved in doing this wonderful mitzvah of covered Tikberenu, why do we not recite a bracha just like we would any other time? Sounds very strange. It should warrant a bracha. Now, of course, we're not excited to do this mitzvah, but maybe we should make a bracha anyway. Who said that when you do a mitzvah that you're not excited about, you don't make a bracha? Let's say I don't want to go hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Let's say I don't want to go uh, hear the Megillah on Purim because I'm too exhausted. I'm not feeling well. But I go anyway and I make a bracha even though I'm not happy to do it. So why would this be something that is not requiring us to make a bracha? Is a very important question, but not for now. Would there also be a mitzvah of kvura by Mesei Akum? So what do you say there? That is a big discussion. Rashi seems to say in his commentary on Chumash that the mitzvah of Kvura that we have is only a mitzvah that is limited to a Jewish person who passes away. But if you have a non-Jewish body, we do not have an obligation to bury that person. Why? The whole reason for the mitzvah of Kvura, says Rashi, is because the Torah says, Ki kilalas elokim talui. Because the Ribbon Shalolam is as if he is hanging out in distress. The Ribbon Shalolam is exposed. What do you mean, kilas elikim tali? So Rashi gives a famous mashal in the name of the Medrash. Rashi says, imagine you have twins. The king has a twin, identical twin. And the king is obviously the king. Everybody recognizes him. And the twin happens to be a drug addict. Now you have the drug addict roaming around the streets. Every time everybody sees the drug addict brother, they are laughing that they think it's the king. So it's a disgrace to the king that his brother is running around like that and people are mixing them up. People are confusing them. Therefore, says Rashi, if we are created B'Tselem Elohim, don't we have to be concerned that we are in the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? If we are in the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then to leave a body not buried, that's a disgrace not only to the person, but it's a disgrace to HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself. And therefore Rashi says that is the interpretation of why we have a mitzvah of Kvura in the first place. It's not simply because we want to give someone respect. It's because you are so deserving of respect because you are in some way an embodiment of the Ribbon Shalom. Now, although Rashi says this only applies to a Jew, we know that the Psukim tell us in Sefer Yoshua that Yoshua went out of his way when he went to fight a war. Whenever there was a dead body from the opposite side, he made sure to bury them as well. And he was not Makbid only to bury the Jewish dead bodies, he was Makbid to bury everyone. This is something that obviously we try to help out whenever we can, but that is the question in the Rishonim. Is there an obligation or it's just a nice thing to do? When the Psukim say in Sefer Yoshua that that is what Yoshua did, is that just because he was a mensch or is that because he had an obligation to do so? The Ramban does tell us that although there is no chiyav, although there's no obligation to bury a non-Jew, the Ramban does say if the non-Jew dies in Eretz Yisrael, then we do have an obligation. Why? What's the difference in Eretz Yisrael and Chutz There shouldn't be any distinction at all. Says the Ramban, the difference is because the Torah says... We want to make sure that Eretz Yisrael is pure. If we're going to have bodies all over the place, that would be a way to make a way to ensure that Eretz Yisrael is going to be defiled. Kohanim are going to be roaming around. We're going to have tumah all over the place. We don't want to do that. And therefore, says the Ramban, there's an extra special obligation of kvura even for Ananji when we talk about in Eretz Yisrael. And that is why my father is of the opinion that if somebody is going to medical school, so you know that in medical school they have to do work on cadavers. Now, 
Not everybody has to do that. Now they have virtual anatomy. I always think about that. If I had a doctor that trained with virtual anatomy and never actually touched the body, would I be comfortable with them touching me the first day in the office? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I assume when we talk about virtual anatomy, I have no idea, but I would assume virtual anatomy is only part of the course. I would assume at some point they're going to have to actually deal with a body itself. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works. But here the question is, if you have classical medical school, when you have a medical student that's going to have to dissect a cadaver and that's going to have to do work on a body, so is there a preference to go to medical school in Eretz Yisrael or in Chutz Laaretz? So you'll say, what's the difference? So difference number one is, are you allowed to dissect a Jewish body? In Eretz Yisrael, do you have to assume that most of the bodies that are going to be given over to the medical school for research are going to be Jewish bodies? That's question number one. Question number two is, even if you assume that it's only going to be non-Jewish bodies, well, maybe in Eretz Yisrael there's a separate prohibition because those satame asan mascha, to leave bodies around in Eretz Yisrael, even if they are non-Jewish bodies, may be a separate prohibition. And that's why my fathers have the opinion if someone is going to choose whether to go to medical school in America or Chutzlars, they should choose to go in Chutzlars for those two reasons. Number one, because the assumption is, based on the population in the United States, we could probably safely assume that most of the bodies that you're going to be handling in medical school are going to be non-Jews and not Jews. And on the other hand, the second reason is because there's an additional prohibition in Eretz Yisrael. If you leave a Jewish, if you leave a Jewish or non-Jewish body from being buried, that would be an issue. So over here... The mitzvah of kvura that we have, is that being violated here when I go and do this impression on the hand? The answer is no. Why not? Well, you're not taking away time to do it. You're not doing anything. Why? I asked. How long does this take? They said they do it before the body is even cleared to go to the morgue. So you're not wasting any time. You're not making them do a leviah the next day. So that, I think, is off the table. The fact that we have a mitzvah of kvura in front of us, the fact that we're supposed to do it as soon as possible... This does not delay the process at all. We know to do the paperwork itself in the hospital is going to take some time, and therefore this would not delay the process at all. This is not an issue. The second issue we need to think about is the issue of Kavod Ames. We know that the Gemara takes Kavod Ames very, very seriously. The Mishnah, in fact, says in Masechus Brachos in the third parak that if somebody is a Shomer al Hames. Now, back in the days of the Gemara, they had a Shomer because they were concerned if they would leave a body without somebody watching it, they would have insects, they would have mice, they would have rodents coming, and it would desecrate the body. So today, it's not the same. Rav Moshe Feinstein writes in a tshuva, today when you put a body in the morgue, there's no concern that maybe something is going to happen. There's no concern that the body is going to decompose or that an animal is going to defile the body. That's not the problem. So Shmira today is not the same as it once was in the days of the Gemara. But the Gemara does say, if you have Mesa Mutalafanav, if I am taking care of the needs of a person who is deceased, I'm making the arrangements. So it says, I don't have to say Kriyashma, I don't have to Davin, I don't have to put on Tefillin, I don't have to do anything. Why? Because my job is to make sure that we bring about the greatest covet Maze that I can possibly bring to this person. Even to the point that it will say that I'm exempt from wearing my Tefillin, from Davining, from doing all the things that most of us do on a daily basis, still we would say you don't have to do them because covet Maze is something that we take very seriously. Why are you not obligated to say Kriyashma? Kriyashma is so important. The Yerushalmi actually says, Tosis quotes the Yerushalmi, because the Pasuk says, That's what the Torah says. You have to remember, Tosis says, what does Kol Yemei Chayecha mean? It doesn't only mean on every day of your life, but it also means, it means on the days that I'm spending my time busy with people who are alive, then I have to say Kriyashma. 
But if I'm spending my day today dealing with a mace, then Kriya Shema is off the table and everything else is off the table as well. So we see that this is something, Kavadah Mace is something that we take very seriously to the point that the Gemara says in Moed Katan that if somebody is present, Bishas Yitzias HaNeshama, if somebody happens to be in the room when an individual loses their life and this has nothing to do with whether you're related, if you happen to be in the room when somebody passes away, says the Gemara, you have to rip Kriya. Not because I'm a relative, but rather because it's Domele Sefer Torah I have to realize a person is in some way considered similar to a Sefer Torah. If I see a Sefer Torah that is burnt, if I see a Sefer Torah that is destroyed, I have to rip Kriya. So too says the Gemara, if you see a life that is taken away, you have to rip Kriya as well. Giving us the sense, giving us an understanding that this is something that we take very seriously. The Kedusha of a person, the respect that they are deserving of, the Kavu that we need to give them, and then beyond that, I'll get to your question in a second, beyond that we have what the Gemara describes as bizayon hames, that of course we have to show honor and it goes without saying you're not allowed to desecrate a body. So this is a big discussion in the Gemara about bizayon hames and it's something that we need to think about very, very seriously. And that is a big, uh, a big discussion in the postgame about uh, different, different issues that come up regarding bizayon hames with regard to... Uh, dissecting a cadaver that you're using for medical purposes, would I be allowed to violate Bizayon Ames, Nivel Ames? Of course, if I do a, if I dissect a cadaver, that is the greatest Bizayon Ames. But on the other hand, maybe I'm going to save a life. If I do a cornea transplant, am I allowed to take it out when I know that I'm going to now give someone else life? These are major, major questions, but it all boils down. Part of the issue is this issue of Bizayon Ames that is taken very, very seriously in Chazal. Yeah? Non-Jewish bodies are, it's a big question, what kind of tumah non-Jewish body has? Is it b'maga, b'masa, b'ohel? What, what exactly? It's not the same, but there is, um, there is a big discussion. May say akum... Like they don't recreate, what? Right? I that you don't correct. If you're in a room with a correct. Body. That's correct, yeah. Okay, so now the third issue, which is probably the most important issue to this discussion is, would there be a problem? So let's think for a moment about Bizayan Ames before we move on to the third. Would this be a bizayon ames? I don't think so. You're not being mavaza the mace. You're not defiling the body. You're not desecrating in any way. You're not doing anything that is harmful to the body. I would say this wouldn't be under the category of nivel ames, bizayon ames, kavod ames. It wouldn't be anything that would be problematic. And the only reason I'm doing it is because I care so much about the mace's family. So this is not doing it because I'm desecrating the body. I'm doing it because I care about the family members who are very deeply related to this individual. Now, the third question, which is most important here to the discussion is, what about the prohibition of hana'a min hames, of deriving benefit from a body? So the Gemara says in Maseches Avodah how do you know, ask the Gemara, that you're not allowed to have benefit from a body? Says the Gemara, we learn Shava from Egla Arufa. Egla Arufa is something that is considered to be Asr Bahana'a, when you have to... The Eglai Rufa is a story for another time, but it's Aser Bahana. So too, says the Gemara, Mace is also going to be Aser Bahana, and the Gemara gets into a whole discussion about that. Rabbi Kiva Eger actually raises a very fascinating question. If you're going to tell me that getting benefit, deriving benefit from a body is considered to be Iser Hana, then how is it, says Rabbi Kiva Eger, that we would allow members of the Heber Kadisha to be paid for their services? Now, in our community, the Heber Kadisha is a group of volunteers. But in communities in Europe, it wasn't always that way. There were people who were on site, who were always available. I guess we have it today as well, the people who work in the funeral homes. So our Hever Kadisha doesn't get paid, but the people who work in the funeral homes get paid, and they deserve to be paid. This is their job. 
Asher B'Kiva Eger. What are you being paid to do? What are you being paid to do? If there were no bodies, you would have no funerals. If there were no funerals, you would have no funeral home. If there's no funeral home, you have no job. Says Rabbi Kivager, it means the salary that you're getting is coming directly because you are getting benefit from the person who passed away. Isn't that considered to be Hanam in Ames? So what do you say? I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm making the, the, the live ones ragua. I'm, I'm, I'm giving peace to the live people. Really? So when you arrange a funeral, you are paying money to the funeral directors, not because you want them to take care of the deceased? Okay, but I'm driving the hearst, right? I'm driving the hearst, and I'm the one who's getting paid to drive the hearst. So it means that my salary is coming directly from benefiting this individual who is deceased. What? You're the shliach. So the Gemara Mesechus Abadazara actually talks about the following case. What happens if, let's say, you have, uh, I think the Gemara is talking about Yayin um, Nesech. If you have wine that is prohibited, Asr Bahana, right? It was used for Abadazara. So, of course, it's Asr Bahana means I'm not allowed to sell it to anybody, I'm not allowed to do business with it, I'm not allowed to manufacture it, whatever, all the different things that are included in that. Says the Gemara, what if I'm the truck driver? I do nothing. I just own a truck. And the owner of the Yayin Nesech asked me, can you drive my wine from this location to another location? And I'm going to pay you for your services. Says the Gemara, that would be a violation of Yisurei Hana. That is a prohibited. Why is it prohibited? Because I'm deriving benefit directly from the wine that is Aser Ba'ana. Aser Ba'ana doesn't only mean I'm not allowed to sell it. It doesn't only mean I'm not allowed to drink it. It also means I'm not allowed to get business or benefit from this wine either. And therefore, says the Gemara, if you are going to be the truck driver, that would be considered a violation of Yisurei Hana. Now, says Rabbi Kivager, if that's the case, then how could it be that you ever have anybody who drives a hearse and gets paid for it, and they should be paid, but how can they accept the money if after all it's Asr Ba'ana? You have to explain that. You have to give an explanation to that. It's a very strong question. But we know that there's a prohibition of Meis Asr Ba'ana. Now the Shulchan Aruch says, listen carefully to the words of the Shulchan Aruch. Meis, Bein Ovid Kochavim Bein Yisrael. When you have a deceased, whether it's a Jew or a non-Jew, Tachrichav Asurim Ba'ana. You are not allowed to derive benefit from... The mace. Now, other Rishonim disagree, and they say, what are you talking about? There's a big distinction between a Jew and a non-Jew, and we don't assume that this applies across the board to everyone. So let's just talk for a moment about a Jew. The Gemara says clearly, as we mentioned, we learned from Egla Rufa, the Gemara says very explicitly that a mace, Yisrael, is Aser Bahana. A Jewish body is considered to be Aser Bahana. Would this be a violation of getting Hana? When I have the imprint, when I bring the clay and I put it around the hand, would that be considered Hana'a or not? What would you say? My feeling was, how can that be Hana'a? There's nothing tangible that I'm getting from that. That's what I felt. My father disagreed. My father said, Shai, what do you mean? If you go, I don't know who would do this, but if you go and you're very exhausted and you sit down on a dead body, there's no, there's no table here, there's no chair to sit on. I sit down, a terrible thing to do, but you sit down on a dead body. Is the body losing out because of what I've done? No. Am I getting a tangible benefit from the body? No. But is that considered an Isra Hana? Yes. I'm not getting Hana from putting the plaster on. I'm getting Hana from the result of putting the plaster on. No. No. If you're sitting on the dead body, you're actually at that moment in time, you're getting Hana because you need to relax and sit down. Right. Because you're exhausted, right? Exhausted. Good. But this... If you have another way of getting me... I'd be just as happy. I'd be just as happy. If you you could scan it... If you could have it, if you right. could shoot it and scan it and then print it, I'd be just happy. I don't have to do that. Right. And if you had a chair for me, I would you be just as happy as well? 
it's not the same analogy. I'm struggling with it. I don't know. I'm struggling whether I understand what my father's saying. I called a Russia Weiss today about the Shaila, and he said, I don't, he said, I'm not comfortable with the whole idea because he said, I'm not comfortable with the fact that we're going to start doing such a thing. Not because I have anything wrong. He said, maybe it's just because I'm an old man and I'm just not comfortable with new ideas. But he said, I don't see anything wrong with it. So I said, what about Bizayin Ames? He said, it's not Bizayin. What about Nival Ames? No. What about Kfura? Not a problem. He said, and what about Isura Hana? He's like, it's not Isura Hana. You're not doing anything. Like you said, I'm not taking anything from the body. The whole discussion that the post can have, let's say, is when I take a cornea from a cadaver, that is Isura Hana, potentially. Now, are there post can get around it? Maybe yes, maybe no. But that is potentially Isura Hana. I'm taking something tangible from the body, and I'm using it for another purpose. Maybe that's Isuriana. But here, he felt that wouldn't be Isuriana. My father disagreed. He said, I don't understand. Why isn't that Isuriana? Why shouldn't it be considered Isuriana? You're basically using the hand to make an impression that you wouldn't be able to have otherwise, and you are deriving benefit from it because the family is going to be using it. He felt that would be considered Isuriana. This individual who asked me the Shiloh then said, maybe we should say, if this is permissible, before I call back with the answer, they said, maybe if this is permissible, we should start suggesting to every Heber Kaddisha that before they prepare a body for burial, they should all be doing this. It's creepy. What? So it's creepy. It's creepy. So Rav Asher said to me, I don't have a halachic problem. It's just a strange thing to do. Right. So he said, I just don't like it. So he gave me an example today. He said that communities in Stayrot started slowly moving back. You know, different families are moving back, different chunks of the community, not everyone together. So he said they called him this week also with some heebie-jeebie thing that they want to do as they're going back. It's going to make everyone feel good. He's like, listen... I don't have a problem with it, but if it's going to make everyone feel good, I don't know. You got to ask the psychologist. You got to ask the therapist. Maybe it's going to be good for people, maybe bad. I don't know. But so, I right. You did what you wanted to do, right? If, if you take it's interesting. Now we have a concept in Allah, I'll get to your question in a minute. We have a concept in Allah called shalok hedarachana aso. If I derive benefit from something in a way which is not the normal way which people use it, maybe that lowers it from being Isr Hana in the prime sense and it brings it down a notch, perhaps. Now, it's not clear. There's a big discussion in the post game whether Shaloka Darachana also by a mace actually knocks it down or not. Not so clear. Rabbi Vadi Yosef has a long chuva and Chelek Yud. Not clear. I'm sorry, uh, Chelek. One, one of the earlier Chalakim. Not so clear whether that actually knocks it down. What? We don't know either. Yeah, so I'm just being honest. It's not so clear that that would really knock it down. And here, my father said, of course, this would be considered Shiloka Darachana also. The way to get Hana from a hand is to use it to hold something or whatever. The way that we're using this for Hana is obviously Shiloka Darachana also. It's not the normal way. So again, you go back to that discussion in the postgame as to whether or not this is considered to be Shiloka Darachana also, which is not very clear at all. Really not very clear at all. But now let me just take it one step forward. So this is all talking about Meisei Yisrael. What about Meisei Akum? What about if you have a non-Jew in the hospital and their family members want it? So then we have a little bit of a more, uh, more of a discussion to have room to be lenient. Why? Because, as we mentioned, there's a big discussion in the Rishonim and the Achronim whether Meisei Akum are considered Aser Bahana or not. The Shulchan Aruch says very clearly, Meisei Akum, whether it's a Jew or a non-Jew, there's an Isr Hana across the board. It doesn't make a difference. There are many of the Gedolei Achronim who disagree. Many of the Gedolei Achronim who disagree. We, again, Rab Moshe writes that he thinks there is no Isr Hana for an Achri. That's what Rab Moshe says. And therefore Rab Moshe says, even though it's a big discussion in the Rishonim, Rab Moshe says when it's Litzarach Gadol, when you need to use it for an important purpose, 
I forgot the example that he gives, but let's say, uh, let's say you have uh, you're harvesting organs from a non-Jew. No, it's not a good example. Let's say you're harvesting a cornea, which you can take after a person passes away. So Rav Moshe would say, I think that's the case he's talking about, but I didn't check it up today. Rav Moshe would say that since it is a non-Jewish cadaver, therefore that would be permissible because me'ikar adin, we hold that really there would be no iser hana for a mace. My father explained to me, so why are we normally machmir? We're machmir because of kavod abrios, because you should be respectful of everybody and you shouldn't just desecrate a body and you shouldn't have hana from a body. You should give the respect that it deserves and you should bury it properly. And therefore, he said, Mishum kavod abrios normally were machmir, but since the Iker Adin is like many of the Rishonim who say that there's no Isr Hana for a Nachri who is a mace, therefore he said in a case like this, he thinks this would be considered a slight makam mitzvah. If the family members would derive benefit, if they would get some kind of nechama, if they would get some kind of comfort from having this, and you would be able to provide that for them, so then when we're dealing with mace akum, he said that would be enough of a reason to be mekel and he would be comfortable with that. But he said when we're talking about mace Yisrael, he felt, my father felt, that this would be something that would be a violation of Isr Hana, and he thought that it should not be done. Rav Asher Weiss disagreed, and he said he doesn't see what the Hana is here. What exactly am I doing that is considered to be a prohibition of getting Hana? It's, it's, it's very hard to define, yeah? Yeah. Because sometimes 